Wear a mask. Where to? Just wait 15 days to flatten the curve. According to your government, you aren't essential and neither is your life unless you're making TikTok videos in the hospital parking lot. Vaccines don't help you. They help your neighbor. Stay locked in your house until the government allows you to leave. 2020 was an assault on people reason, and logic. Nothing made sense, and the people saying the senseless matched the message. It has been quipped that history is written by the victors, but that still leaves another side of the story. If you heard, that means the people lost. I think that's right. My guests today have plans to chronicle some of the governmental responses and personal consequences of the COVID fiasco. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 142. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Pick up your copy of my cookbook, Cooking for Comfort, and plan Father's Day dinner. Find the book on Amazon or on my page, culinarylibertarian.com slash cookingforcomfort. My guests today are the creative team of the Sound Mind Creative Group, and they want to make two documentary films about the COVID response and outcome so far. As you'll hear John explain, and John is not his real name, they are using pseudonyms to protect themselves and those around them. This is a project that very much needs completing. I've donated to them, and later in the show, I'll give a website where you can preview a short trailer, which we'll discuss and where you can donate as well. Guys, thank you for joining me today on the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Well, very good. All right, so today I'm speaking with John, Matt, and Alan, but like they say in the movies, that's not your real name. So uh, we're going to talk about your movie documentary project, and I want you to give the intro about that and a little bit of bio about yourselves and uh, an explanation about the need actually need for anonymity sure so um you know we we have been observing over the last year that that lockdowns have been sold as a critical tool to fight this pandemic uh and we've been keeping our eye on the data about all of this. And what we're finding is that the the independent data free from the political spin suggests a very different story than the mainstream narrative that's been sold to basically the world. And our documentary, we've got two phases that we're doing with it. One is a short form that will probably be released in the fall. The other is a long form that will be released next year sometime. And the aim of it is to challenge that prevailing narrative by really taking on the real data, the politically suppressed scientific debate, 
and all of the heartbreaking stories of everyday people whose lives have been destroyed by these policies. So that's basically the thrust of the project. Okay. And why do you feel the need to conceal who you are? What do you, who, you're protecting yourselves, but from whom? Well, the uh, Soundmind Creative Group, I mean, we, I guess to go to the beginning on that, I mean, we were discussing about the idea of wanting to do this documentary. And, um, you know, obviously we had some hesitations given the controversial topic and, and of course, the uh, cancel culture as it is now. Um, and then given different clients of things that we have in, in the film industry and that, you know, we knew that, uh, you know, everyone's just nervous about that stuff. It's, it's, you know, you know, different corporate clients and stuff, even, even if they don't think it's a big deal, they, there's the public image and all this. It's like, Oh, this company has these contractors working for them and they're involved with this other thing. So then, then it's like, Oh, I don't know you know, that might look bad, even, you know, it's just, there's a lot of that going on. So we, we want to do this documentary and that's where we came up with the idea to, to form this group that would sort of act as a shield or kind of a umbrella group in particular for creatives that, that have opinions and have interests in discussing and, and just, just a discussion that we're not, you know, trying to be controversial or, you know, conspiracy theories or anything crazy like that, but just to, um, you know, to have a discussion and uh, explore different topics that, um, you know, if we were in the open and public about it, it could put our livelihood at risk. It could, I mean, in the worst case scenario, even, you know, with doxing and all this crazy stuff going on and, you know, we have families and things like that. It's like, well, you know, so we just needed to find a way because it's it's too important. The topic's too important to um, to not do something thorough and, you know, concise and just analytical and really kind of digging in. Um, so we, that was, it was really kind of for all of us. I mean, I think was, you know, I don't know that we would necessarily be doing this any other way. So it, it's, that's been an interesting journey. It's unfortunate. Right. Well, I, I'll just add to that. We, it, although it's somewhat awkward, admittedly it's there's two things about it a traditionally when you develop a film project you do it with a degree of privacy and intellectual property rights and and, and you try and you try and put it together a package together and and have it be just so before you really announce it now it's the modern media age everyone's sort of self-branding social media obviously we're going against the, the the norm here but we decided too that by doing it somewhat awkwardly in terms of here we are we're, we're, we're communicating obviously there's a circle of trust with the people that we're talking to but we wanted to demonstrate but the three of us putting ourselves out there in this format and figuring this format out of the uh, sound mind creative group uh, also lets other creatives who are hoping to work with us know that there's another layer of protection for them. So if we, as we invite more people in, they can feel like, okay, the, the, the initial founding members here, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll keep it private. You know, we'll, we, we understand that eventually you know, there's a circle of trust that people will generally know who we are within who we're working with, but we'll also be very, we're putting a premium on privacy and having people work with us who, who wish to express themselves freely as they should be able to in this country. And we want to, just sort of we we're we're figuring it out as we go but we we feel it's working quite well so far and and with that i think we we've realized as we've developed the idea 
that it that it has a broader life. You know, it started with this project, but but we feel like uh, exactly. it, it has the potential for legs for for many different kinds of projects, for ideas that may not be in the mainstream acceptability realm, um, and the reality of the entertainment industry, I, cancel culture is kind of a new phenomenon in the society at large, but within the entertainment industry, it's not new to any of us. Exactly. Uh, all, all of us have spent decades really recognizing that we kind of have to be um, very circumspect about what we share with our colleagues. So our our intuition is there are probably many creatives who have, have ideas that they're not comfortable making projects about because they're, they're afraid of the uh, repercussions. So we feel like this this anonymous group may give rise to kinds of projects that normally wouldn't be happening. Well, that's uh, getting projects that wouldn't otherwise be made is a fabulous reason for having anonymity. The fact that you the the whole story that you probably need to have that to protect yourself from a very real Hollywood cancel culture is a tragedy and probably another episode, but there's, so I'm glad you found a workaround to that. So the thing we haven't said yet is the name of the movie, which is humorously, although not, I think intentionally follow the science. And I want to put a little TM sign behind that. Um, <laughs> Cause I think that's, to me it's, it's read both literally and tongue in cheek. Uh-huh. Now, there's a lot to get to here, and I realize I don't realize much in film industry because I don't do that. But in in making movies, there's a time delay. What is the sense of urgency here for getting the information out? Because what 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 story do you want to tell in the short version, and what story do you want to tell in the long version? Well, I think in the sh- the short version, I mean, we're probably going to primarily focus on the lockdowns and, and kind of, you know, uh, along with the mask mandates kind of connected. They're kind of interconnected as far as that. Um, and, I, you know, it's really going to be it's really going to be the personal stories, you know, the individuals that were really affected by by the lockdowns, the, all the all the unintended consequences that, that you know, that the policies created. Um so that's going to kind of be the focus. I think part of the sense of that is if we can get that out by fall, I mean, it's possible that that we could hopefully have some influence a little bit if, as we get into cold and flu season again this winter. Who knows what ideas, uh, you know, will be floating around for the next round of, of uh, lockdowns or mass mandates and all that. I, at the same time, I mean, hopefully, you know, um, that's not as big a problem. I don't know. We, we don't know. I mean, that's why I think the other aspect of it, both the short film, but, in, you know, the short, which is going to be sort of a proof of concept, but the longer form is also, I think we want to have sort of a retrospective angle on it, almost a historical a sort of, uh, you know, um, putting it, you know, putting it out in a way like demonstrating here's, here's what happened. Here's what was done. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. Um, you know, so we can know this, you know, going into the future, the next pandemic, you know, that people will push back maybe a little more. People didn't push back as, as strongly as I think all of us would have hoped. Um, 
especially with the lockdowns and that. I mean, I I think, you know, and I don't know if I'm speaking for all, all of you, but I know the first couple of weeks were a little hairy, but then it was kind of pretty clear, okay, this isn't going to be so bad. And then, but then it's, you know, and I mean, it was unbelievable. You get into July and then they're doing these big lockdowns in the middle of summer and, and it was crazy and, and people didn't push back as much. Um, and so, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can get some information in there that might, you know, inform people. Yeah, well, we, we, we have a strong sense, I mean, especially for the first phase, we want to look closely at the data, at what it actually reveals. We feel intuitively and and suspect, because uh, we, we want to be this investigative process of, of looking at the data and seeing, you know, obviously there's been a, a narrative that we were sold at a political level and a policymaker level. And we noticed that anyone disagreeing, anyone asking questions, anyone utilizing what we would consider as layman's, as 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 um, as the scientific method, asking the appropriate questions, was quickly demonized, prevented from 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 lodging those questions and those doubts, and and to the point of attack. And uh, and we could see that, and we could say, well, well, there's there's something wrong here. The the, the necessary. Uh, nationwide conversation um, uh, was clearly being prevented from happening and we have a suspicion and and we and per some uh, we, we're, we're big fans of Nick Hudson at Panda who we've been communicating with about this project um, and that we we are seeing that perhaps that these policies and the numbers used to evoke these policies are are empty are were, were not justifiable and quite possibly um, there's there's even there's even some um, possibilities that they were harmful, but at the very least, we just want to have the conversation and open up the debate of what these numbers said, re- reveal them openly, kind of open source them, and animate them and discuss them in such a way that they become approachable to the general population, let alone scientists that we think that we want to bring into the documentary who we feel will enlighten uh, the general population as to what the data said versus what was enacted and then we when we feel there might be a a disconnect there which i think john can comment on a little more thoroughly in terms of uh, our relationship to nick hudson yeah well we we've been we've been talking with nick quite a bit and and he's definitely uh his his ideas on all of this have been shaping our our perspective and and even kind of the scope of what we want the project to be about uh and and just to return to Dan, to your question about the differences between the short form and the long form, the we're seeing the long form version of this being much more in depth, analytical, and um, probably projecting out to the future. So we really want to look at not just the data and the stories, which will be mostly in the short form, but um, how how could this have happened? What, what caused people to be so willing to lay down and give up their fundamental rights? What kind of language was used that, that uh, put people in a state of fear? Um, and, and like you pointed out, this whole, whole notion of follow the science, uh, an important part of the long-form documentary will be looking at what, what is science and what role should science play in a political process? Is that even... Uh, uh, a reasonable thing to expect that that science and politics can be married in the way it has been in the last year, um, and and then also to look at kind of the the long term implications. When when is it ever justified 
to take these kind of very intrusive measures to try to solve a large crisis of this magnitude. Um, so that that's kind of the the broader picture of what we're looking at for the long form project. There's there's clearly a divide, and we're gonna I want to get to this a little bit more in, in a minute. But there's clearly a divide of at least two for and against the measures taken. Your film seems automatically to want to reach the against folks. So I think this is the filmmaker's craft. How do you, how do you reach the audience that is almost going to reject you on point because of your topic? Well, that's, that's something we've discussed a lot. Um, and I think what we're trying to do is, is, I mean, an ultimate goal and maybe a, a litmus test of whether we play that balance correctly would be if we, for the longer form, are able to get uh, mainstream distribution, something like Netflix, something like that. So that, that's in, heavily on our mind. I mean, we don't want it to just get shoved away and, you know, thrown in the you know, in the burn pile and just tossed out. We want to get as many eyeballs as possible. So in that, we've been talking a lot about, we're being very careful about who we would have in the documentary feature in any way, whether we're interviewing them or have clips of them. That's that's going to be very carefully decided on. And, and then also the at, in what way we present their ideas, um, you know, in presenting any ideas, any ideas that lean a little further out of the line. I mean, we're, you know, we may have our own opinions about it, but we're not going to, we're not going to necessarily condone a lot of specific things unless it's solidly backed by data and science and so forth. And it's just fully vetted, you know, um, in every way possible. So we're, we're going to really try to play that line as carefully as possible. I think, I think it's going to be important to, um, you know, probably on that respect is I think people will dismiss it without even seeing it if, if certain people are somehow prominently featured in one way or another in the film. So I think uh, that's going to be one of the biggest things. So we're, you know, and we also were, you know, we, we're exploring some different ideas, but we're, we're thinking of the idea of sort of a host narrator. Um, and if, if we can bring someone on board that might be able to play that balance about just right. I mean, we've talked about different options. We've, we've mentioned like someone like Mike Rowe, you know, for example, someone that, you know, has enough uh, sort of celebrity and, and appeal that, you know, can reach a wide audience, but also doesn't come off as too, too extreme. I, you know, we're exploring some ideas there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's going to be, be probably one of the more complicated problems to solve in making this film is trying to find the right balance. Um, but I, again, it's just really, you know, given the title, follow the science. I mean, we're just going to, we just need to be absolutely tight with that. So we're really, you know, it's great to have Nick Hudson helping out. And we're we're going to be getting more and more people involved um, to really, if nothing else, I mean, there's certainly, he'll certainly be in the documentary, but, but he's probably as valuable, valuable, if not more as even as sort of a consultant and helping us as we develop it and create the documentary just to, you know, fact check everything, you know, and to make sure everything's solid. Right. So 
I think another aspect of this is that um, the kinds of things that that we are interested in investigating and, and putting out there are are the kinds of things that people who normally have a commitment to core, um, for lack of a better term, liberal values should care about. A, a, a true appreciation for the scientific method, a true appreciation for um, people who, who struggle in life, uh, you know, having their lives made better, a true appreciation for, a, you know, a, a sense of um, equality and uh, well-being and human flourishing. These are things that most people, I think, if you ask them point blank, do you care about these things? They're going to say, sure, oh, yeah, of course, sure, I care about those things. And, and part of our project with this is to kind of strip away the, the political vocabulary, strip away all of the, the um, brainwashing, basically, that's been happening for the last year, and, and look at, at really what has happened and whose lives have been um, deeply impacted by this. And, and hopefully in doing that, if, if we can get beyond the filters, those who have been opposed to um, or who, who have been in favor of these mandates might recognize that those those things are not really serving the values that they ostensibly care about. A couple of things I want to get back to. Um, Mike Rowe, now you have a you have a website we'll talk about near the end, but you have a five minute or so video kind of as a tease, a taste of what the idea is, probably certainly for the 20 minute one. And it's put together, it's put together really well. It's a, it's got a, it's clearly got a good production value. You know, it's not grainy. So it's like, you look at this, oh, this is quality stuff. The thing that impresses me about getting a guy like Mike Rowe is one, I think he has sort of replaced the Samuel L. Jackson as the voice I want to listen to. I love that guy's voice. And that sounds like a throwaway, but it really isn't. Because you just want to hear him speak. Because the timbre of his voice is just, you could you could read me technical, you could read me stereo instructions, and I don't care. Because I want to hear yeah. it. Um, Nick is spectacular. And there was a video you highlighted part of his speech uh, I've heard the video. I didn't see the video, but I, as I saw it in your, but the content of that speech is mind-bogglingly important. And I think the, I think getting academics like Nick, I'm not sure Nick would appreciate being called an academic. Um, Ivor Cummins has done a lot of work with stats and getting things, getting things right. Uh, there's another guy who I can't think of with grass who did a spectacular job. Um, getting, getting the people that are in the field and have the right information is good, but I'm curious because there is this almost knee-jerk reaction to, well, that's not real data. And, and at some point, there's nothing you can do about the person who's going to reject everything because it is, it is an alien idea to my ideology. If it doesn't fit into this little tiny compartment, I don't care about it. Okay, fine. Those people will probably never be reached. For the people who might be persuadable, 
how do you convince them that your sources are credible? Is that your job? Is that your responsibility as a filmmaker? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, that stellar list of individuals you just said and, and how you like to listen to them and, and how it's, it's like you even said, listening to read stereo instructions, you get a sense that there's been a deep, thoughtful think through of what they're talking about, that they're both thinking beings, logical beings, but also feeling beings and emotional beings, that there is an emotionality that they understand goes with the the data. If you just throw data out there or throw knowledge out there, it doesn't really stick. You have to have, I mean, the way we seem to be wired as humans is that you you have to have a story that you that the data come that, that the information comes along. I mean if it, and that's the sort of film being the sort of empathy dynamo that if you if you have a story in which you're able to project onto it, we and 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 you feel as if you're experiencing the 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 thresholds, the emotional thresholds, as the as the experience unfolds, you 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 project yourself into the film. You you identify with the heroes, and you can feel what they felt at the time, and then how they made their decisions at the time with the knowledge that they accrued at the time. And in in short, that's all wisdom. We're really looking to sort of look at what's the wisdom that we are that we've learned as a people this past year, and we think all of those individual candidates that we want to. Uh, the, the Mike Rose, the Nick Hudsons that we want to incorporate into this film, we want to you know, demonstrate that what is it to have thought it all through? What is it to have, um, um, and you know, and then and the discrete stories of those who have suffered under these policies that may 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 very well not have been necessary. What is it that we have gained in terms of wisdom so that we don't repeat this again? And 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 for those who perhaps are using it for their own ideological advancement, um, why might they be doing that? How might we we suggest that that you know, we're, in effect, what we're going to be asking people to admit is admitting that they've been wrong. If there's people who have been holed up in their own home wearing masks for a year and there's a suggestion that perhaps that they've been that this was not a good course of action for them to take and that all the suffering they've endured for that, they're not going to want to hear that. And so we need that type of um, thoughtful, compassionate think through and and presentation that's going to ease these minds into that so that, you know, as 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 John was saying, we want to really, you know, we, we want to appeal to a, a, a general thinking sort of liberal minded individual who's like, oh, these are the questions that should have been asked and have not been asked. And and I'm going to have to, every, we're asking everyone to sit with it and make decisions for themselves. So that's that there's a there's a real bringing in a, a cast of characters that convey that is, is of paramount importance to this film. And a lot of that has to do also with the the production elements of of the project. Uh, you know, we a piece of it is we, we want to bring humor into it uh, to bring approach it from a different angle. Um, it's important that we have a score that's that's very uh, energetic, exciting, interesting, engaging. Um, that our graphics are uh, very you know when we present the data, it's immediately accessible. You can see the graphic and understand quickly what the data is showing. All of those things draw the audience into it, even if they're initially skeptical or resistant. Um, the, the goal is to kind of open a space where they feel supported in this journey of discovering this information. Um, and, and, and that's part of why, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to do this with 
what what's kind of a moderate budget in the scale of of well done documentaries, but it's still a substantial budget um, in in the realm of documentaries in general. Um, we we need the funds to to uh, make it make it well and uh, persuasive. Yeah, well, it's it's I mean, we're all professional filmmakers, and we're, we want to attain the the cinematic suspension of disbelief. We feel that's the space that we need to attain to really try and change minds or 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 allow for new information to be introduced. I mean, there there certainly are get a couple, couple talking heads, throw some data, throw it up on the screen, and you have a film, you have a video for YouTube, sure. But we want to really create a professional cinematic experience that that draws people in properly. That and that's hence the hence the budget that we're going for. Yeah, just just to add to that, I you know I think it's going to be important that you know as far as that audience that they bought the whole lockdown masks everything and they went all in on that and they're going to be real skeptical. I mean, it's going to be obviously marketing is a whole other thing, but getting them to just start the movie is is going to be one thing. But um, I think it's going to be very important that at at no point in the film that we're ridiculing them. They're not, you know. It's not their fault, anyone that, you know, is if, I mean, assuming that the exploration, you know, comes to certain conclusions in that, and it'll be presented in that way. But, um, you know, I guess, I mean, you know, we feel pretty confident about that as far as the lockdowns being a terrible move. So those that that are really for them and they, they did lock themselves down and all that, they're not... They're not the enemy in this. We don't want to ridicule them. We don't want to humiliate them in any way. There's going to be a lot of compassion and sensitivity to to that. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, in a in a sense, they they may be, you could say they may be victims in this, and and you know, we need to think of it that way to some degree. And and I think that might be a way to do that. I think the other thing to mention is the timing, especially on the long form of being next year at some point next year. The, the timing of, of next year, I think, might give some space um, so people can can reflect on everything that's happened and maybe just have a chance to to the emotions to just kind of simmer down and we can and, and hopefully we can look back in a way um, that may be helpful, too. I mean, even even still now, it's still a little heated out there about this, it's, although it's I think it's it's shifting. And, and of course, the uh, the sort of related topics are shifting now it's more the anger and emotions are more wrapped around the the vaccine stuff at this point but uh. alan i want to go back to a point that you made and it seems a magnificent goal to reach the mask pious and i had this idea that basically you're talking about converting everybody in plato's cave and that's that's a that's it's a it's an ambitious and noble task, but I think you've got your work cut out for you. And then you said something that I think is the solution to the problem, which is the cinematic ability of suspension of disbelief. Now that is, I mean, for what do I know, as as a consumer of movies, this is effective to me. So. I think the suspension of disbelief is a really useful tool. Now, I have no idea how idea how you make. I don't know how you put it into a film. I just know how I watch it. But I think that that's a, a valuable point to at least reach 
the the faithful of the lockdowns who are willing. Now, the, the unwilling, I don't, the, unless you are Gavin Newsom and pay them, I don't think there's anything you can do about that. Um, for Matt, I think it's a really valuable point that the people who are doing the lockdowns and who are wearing the masks and doubling down and wearing the masks and six feet apart, Initially, it's not their fault, and, and probably entirely it's not their fault. Uh, they have, th- there's a group of people who are not the classic liberals who trust their government. For whatever reason they do, trust the government, I don't know. But now, one of the things that I haven't heard brought up before, and I'm going to jump ahead in my, my list here, if this was unique to the U.S., then we could say this is just a strange thing, and wow, look at that, how bizarre, all of you crazy Americans. It is not unique to the U.S., it is a worldwide thing, and I don't know if you remember seeing a, it ended up on YouTube, it was a one frame, then two, then four, I don't know if it was exponential, but it showed two news anchors standing in front of the desk, each saying exactly the same speech, verb verbatim, word for word, across the country, everyone was saying the exact same thing. So your first question is, huh, who gave them that script? Who's feeding the news? When we get to COVID and the lockdowns and all of this stuff and follow the science, TM, Who's telling the scientists what to say? And I think part of this ties into the World Economic Forum. Klaus Schwab who wrote a book, COVID-19 and the Great Reset. He's right there playing about it. We're going to do this worldwide. Is, there a, is this outside the scope of your film to explore the Great Reset and Schwab and Davos and WEF as part of this problem? Originally, it was very much outside of the scope of the film. Uh, our, our intention when we started was just to deal with lockdowns, mask mandates, uh, and little else. And uh, as I mentioned earlier in our conversations with Nick Hudson, we've kind of had our, our uh, scope a bit broadened. And um, we still really want to only deal with things that that we can clearly point to on a scientific level. Um, but but uh, we do feel like these broader questions are important to address. Um, in in way we're still developing how that's going to look. Uh, it it will take some time to really figure out what we're addressing and how we're addressing it. But but I do think the World Economic Forum um, is probably something we're going to need to touch on. The Great Reset is probably something we're going to need to touch on. Um, we're just not yet clear how that's going to look. Doesn't it make your task any easier? Yeah, I think I you know I think the approach with that. I mean, just like you know, we're going to be solid on solid ground with the science and the data. But I think it, there is some investigative journalism that that's going to be going on in in this process as we explore this, in particular for the longer form for next year. 
and and a lot of thing is a lot of things are developing right now and and as far as all that i mean we've we've considered too you know there's a lot out there now about the origin of the virus as well and and that and and whether that is within the scope of the longer form you know i don't i don't know right now but we're following that stuff um so i mean there's a lot a lot going on it's all tied together and and how that's tied together as we explore what we can definitively um, figure out, you know, we're going to present it, um, but we're going to try to really have some strong journalistic, you know, integrity with that and really be careful to not go too heavily into any kind of speculation or conspiracy theory. We may have interviewees that may do that, but we would, right. would present that in a way as well. That's their idea. You know, we're, we're going to let them express their idea. It's not necessarily the opinion of the filmmakers. You know, some of that stuff will present it that way, although it may be the opinion, some of our opinions anyways. But but yeah, you know, so that's, that's you know, I think how that might work. Well, one of the core themes that, that we're realizing is emerging out of all of this is the problem of centralization. Um, and that, that's something that, that Nick has shared with us, his perspective, and, and we certainly agree. Uh, that, that centralization in, in political action, in um, scientific uh, inquiry, um, in, in uh, media and journalism, all, all of these things are suffering from centralization of knowledge uh, and power. And uh, th I think that's, that's the broadest theme of this project, uh, even though we're going to be looking at it through different lenses. Um, that's that's the core kind of philosophical issue that that we're probably going to be tackling with this. The centralization is a really good point, and so that can bring us back to the U.S. because that's really what we're as as Americans. That's our focus. One of the things that's kind of interesting to me, and I'm not entirely sure there is a simple, easy answer, but how did we collectively, as all of us, not you know individually? How did we lose our critical thinking skills? Again, collectively, we seem to be willing to surrender our sovereignty just because they told us to. What happened? Yeah, I, 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 I've been wondering. Yeah, I'll just briefly comment on that. I mean, I, I can't understand how. I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's all that complicated to sort of wrap some logic around various things. I'm, I'm not really sure how a lot of people can even sleep at night with the cognitive dissonance that is going on these days. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. It's people holding multiple views on various things that, uh, you know, I, I, that, that logically you can't really hold simultaneously, but people do it. Well, I, I think it's a very good question. In, in, we are, all every human on this planet is experiencing a massive paradigm shift with the invention of the internet and the normalization of being online and 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 and, and all the, the the trimmings in terms of social media access to information uh, all having smart smartphones in our pocket i mean that there, there's an old i mean i've had a number of uh, grandparents who have gone through the uh, nursing home system and the nurses are always like if if you do anything for people they'll lose that uh, independence. They'll become codependent. And the fact that 
no one has to really, they're, they're, we're, we're facing a whole host of variables in terms of our ability to think uh, and changing that where people don't have to remember things anymore. They don't, you used to be, you would, you would have a, 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 your own personal encyclopedia, encyclopedia of facts and anecdotes, and you would sort of bring those up in conversation and you'd practice that kind of thing. Uh, you, you have we're now two generations in of people who didn't need, need that they're not exercising the muscle of their brain and then we're all overwhelmed by by media i mean we're we're all sort of in bad need of a digital detox because we're constantly overwhelmed by stimuli that we weren't designed to have constantly in our in our field of perception i mean i i believe firmly in the power of film and media in general and and that's why i think like when i speak of cinema i feel that's sort of a heightened level where we're literally creating a faux reality we have we have visual input and we have auditory input and that we sure legit logically understand it's not real but there's a part of our body that doesn't know it's not real you're you're interpreting that emotionally as if it's really happening i mean i think when you look at the dogmatic sort of loyalties to various film franchises star trek star wars um, game of thrones the way it's almost becomes like a religion to these people because they experience it they can experience it over and over and over and over again and it's a and it's really quite an unnatural state that we're all putting ourselves through and that's just the traditional media and now we have constant access to the internet that i think is and to matt's point of conflicting views different views huge competition for our attention at all points and i think that it has a detrimental effect on our ability to cognitively reason um let's go ahead john yeah just just to pick up on that it, it it seems to me like um this is a symptom of the fact that we we are inundated by different ideas all of the time and and if you don't have core philosophical lenses to filter that information you have to you have to grab on to something in order to feel like you can make sense of the world and I, and i think i think the fact that that uh, now with social media people are bombarded all of the time uh, by different ideas that the the only way for them to kind of cognitively survive is to say okay this th what, what this person is saying what this authority is saying make some sense to me i'm going to believe that and and it's not a logical process it's more of an emotional process um and and then because it's because it's not a logical process it has to become dogmatic because you can't defend right. it logically you have to you have to just say okay well this is true and anything else is nonsense when, and it's just the sheer repetition. It's over and over and over again. And then and then they feel like they belong, to John's point. And I feel as if now it's sort of like, ah, anyone who doesn't belong is now being otherized so fully and, and completely that the old world, um, uh, it's shaming and shunning is now what we're all facing. I mean, the, the whole reason for the Sound Mind Creative Group is like, ah, shaming and shunning has now been mainstreamed for anyone who thinks differently. And, and, and this sort of, it's just, and, and the, even the idea that logical thinking is under attack and, 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 and by various ideological dogmas. And you're like, okay, this is, there is a distinct attempt to, to create a, a massive codependency at being the average cognitive experience rather than giving agencies to independent thinkers, is my opinion. Alan, you made an interesting point and you brought up religion. And I think hmm. for the masked faithful, it's it's kind of like a religion and you know 
I, I'm, I'm going to step on toes. People are going to get mad at me for this Go simple for observation. But religions seem to give something to the pious. Uh, I'm not entirely sure I know what that something is for the mask faithful, except identity to a group. But that, so now we have a polarization of, of, of at least two. And that's, that's been a real problem in this country for a long, long time. But now we, that, so we, we have this thing. And I think John mentioned that the, the feeling of association, the mask, the unmasked, the vaccinated, the unvaccinated, the, the, the brand, they call them, I think it sort of besmirches the actual uh, branch Davidians, they call them the branch Covidians. <laughs> um, it's gotten to the point where, following on the, my previous question of lo- losing our collective critical thinking skills, it has turned into shouting down anything that doesn't fit into collectively our special little box. And so it's not just like on social media, it is in families. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's brothers and parents and and in-laws where you don't believe what I believe. I'm, I'm unfollowing you on social media and it's, it's astonishing that, that this has gotten this far. It's not exclusively a COVID problem. COVID is probably the easiest symptom to see of perhaps this overindulgence in electronic media. That's another show. Um, But the inability to, no, here we are, follow the science, the inability to question anything the, the daring to be skeptical of the information you hear is enough to, oh, sorry, you're done. I've cut you off. I don't know who. I don't have a brother. I don't like, wow. So that's not really a question, but it's, as a filmmaker, that seems, uh, we're talking about the effects of what's happened. I think. That seems a big one. I don't even know what you call it. The destruction of reason. I don't know. It's like, how did, what do you do about that? Well, I think some, you know, one thought I've, I've had on that is I think, you know, kind of what Alan brought up. I mean, everyone inundated with the stimuli and everything, you know, it's, it's activating so much, you know, in our brains and we're just, there's so much there that, I think what happens is perhaps the thought of being skeptical or the thought of, of applying some reasoning to something or maybe you know, being skeptical about hearing certain information or being open to kind of alternative ideas or, or alternative conclusions to make out of something is, is just too overwhelming for most people. It, it just might simply be they just it's almost like the ignorance is bliss. It's not so much the ignorance. It's just. They just don't have the bandwidth to, to even, it's like, I, I'm just going to decide this is what it is because that's what I heard from who I decide is an authority on this. And I'm just, I don't even want to hear any other idea because I'm just too overwhelmed in general. It's just too much. So that, that's it, you know? And yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of dogmatic in, in that, but, uh, 
but I think it could be just even more simple for some people. It's just so it's your you know. suggestion is that it, on some level it's a self defense measure to stop the overwhelm, the chaos. Yeah, the sense of chaos and and uh, the unknown and all that. I, I was listening to uh, the podcaster James Lindsay recently, New Discourses podcast, and and he was talking about. How as society has moved in the direction of rejecting religion, people have have been kind of lost without an anchor. And um, a, a way to anchor themselves is a belief in central centralized authority. So get kind of getting back to, to the core theme that we're talking about in this. I think I think people often, if they don't trust their own minds to evaluate the the evidence they need some authority to to uh, anchor their their lives and and so I think despite all of the evidence of of history that governments aren't to be trusted um, because they need a centralized authority they trust what the authorities are, are telling them and I I think uh, like uh, like Matt was saying. That's a lot easier than having to constantly question everything that comes out of the mouth of a politician or a, a political scientist, a, a politicized scientist, um, such as Mr. Fauci. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so I, I, that that to me is part of the explanation. It it it, it explains why people uh, have been so quickly willing to to latch onto these ideas. Yeah, we're 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 really facing. I mean, the star, COVID. I think I think you're right in the sense that COVID really brought it into a stark relief that there is a there is a a, a very sort of institutionalized insecurity across the board that everyone's experiencing because so much of, of their foundational belief systems, ways of thinking, um, their 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 sacred cows of their dogma or their chosen philosophers or their or their ideological ideological waypoints that they've decided to that they as individuals have decided to to subscribe to have all been called into question and and without and 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 there's been nothing to fill that vacuum otherwise other than lately the the sort of state authority coming in and saying, well, the one thing we know is that your life's in danger and you better listen to us. Otherwise uh, you might be at fault for the deaths of other people, which I think was enough to sort of tip a lot of people into giving up their own individual agency that they otherwise would have had 10, 15, 20 years ago. And, and there, and, and, and I think the fact that the, 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 the disallowing of the sort of the otherizing dehumanization, excommunication of, of any way of thinking that's different, of doubting, of, of, of asking questions of, of the, of the prevailing views and, and, and uh, policies, it just is, a, and, that, and they won't permit it, is a sign of just how insecure those at the top are as well. You know, where even suggesting some a different thought is a threat. And that's classic sort of, you know, where, where the state is almost becoming a, uh, a substitute for a religious central centralized figure. And it's like, well, we can't, we, if you doubt them, that that is a threat to society. So therefore, the, the society... It, the societal needs trump the individual needs and it just and that's been demonstrated you know time and time again in history throughout the cold war that type of insecurity at the state level when the state becomes the sort of all-encompassing uh master of 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 the social engineering and i there's a lot of dangers a lot of pitfalls there and i and i feel it's important to investigate this thoroughly and ask the questions so we don't 
go down well-trodden historical pitfalls as a, as a, as a, as a nation. I, I read something scanning today, the, my feed and something about Mao being more concerned about the people's ability, freedom to think as, a, and more worried about that than guns and knives because, if, because ideas, those are revolutionary. And, mm-hmm. and they can create revolutions where guns and knives, well, we can go get those. So I think that, I think, Alan, that's a valid point. Uh, so I mentioned that short video you made. And so let's, the, because you are here talking about two documentaries you want to make, part of this appearance is to reach your audience and say, folks, we need some help. So this is this is the flat out. This is a fundraiser. We're looking for some funds. We need some money. You need some money. I need some money too. But um, <laughs> so let's so talk just a little bit uh, more specifically about the five minute video. Where we can find it? Actually, you. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to make a short link for it because the 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 the, the link is kind of a weird spelling, and that's just hard to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about how people can help you. So let, what's what's going on in this five-minute video? And for the listeners, go to culinarylibertarian.com slash movie, and then you can see it. And also on that page will be the uh, the ways you can support uh, Sound Mind Creative Group in getting this project made. Yeah, so the five-minute video is is basically just a, a over overarching look at um, the ideas that we're planning on approaching in this documentary, you get a juxtaposition of what the what the authorities have said, what the policies were, uh, what some of the opposition has said, the impact on people's lives, and then some conclusions, all in a quick kind of five minute flurry of basically clips from from various sources. Um, our our immediate goal is uh, $100,000, which is what, what we'll need to get the short version of the film done. Our fundraising goal on the fundraising platform is 300000 which we feel gives us a good base for getting the short film done and then the foundation for the long-form project. Uh, our, our truly long-form um Goal, budget goal is going to be quite a bit more than that. We're still figuring that out because we're still figuring out exactly what the long form project is going to be. But we're looking at between a half a million and a million dollars that we'll need to um, to do this all well. All of that probably won't come from crowdfunding. It might, but uh, and and um, I, I don't know, do, uh, Alan or Matt, do you want to talk about the kinds of things that? this money will go toward um because i think that's pretty important uh yeah sure i you know i think you know like we mentioned uh, an ultimate goal if we could get this on some kind of a more mainstream distribution platform it needs to be absolutely top-notch production quality and, and that was brought up earlier so obviously the graphics and the and the music and the the editing and the all the production value the way we shoot the interviews the cinematic look and everything um you know just needs to be absolutely top-notch it needs to be on a par with with 
you know, the, you know, different uh, documentaries you see trending on, you know, top 10 on Netflix and that kind of thing. It needs to be on that level, 4K, the whole deal. Um, so, so, I mean, that's, you know, um, a, a broad picture, you know, kind of, kind of where, where the money's going to go. I think, I think, Alan might be able to break that down even further. If, uh, well, that. sure. So it's it's always shocking to people when when talking about film because everyone consumes film and TV and they think, oh, it's it's a what that was a especially with like a short, oh, it's a five minute piece. Would it take you ten minutes to make that? <laughs> and you know, people don't realize it's you know, for every minute of finished material, just at a at a at an average level, is usually three, four, five weeks worth of work by you know at least three to five i mean at, at a youtube level it's like three to five professionals working for a month to pull off like a, a minute to three minute thing to really get something very high quality that is and uh because we have this you know now that everyone has a, a phone and a laptop and a and editing software yeah you can you can piece something together but with with fe- with feature film and, and proper uh broadcast level and bringing in bringing in having you know paying for the director the producers the above the liners is called in terms of the talent um and then below the liners having a quality crew where you have anywhere from 10 to 15 even you know 25 30 people working on set for multiple days these things all add up and and it they really it's hard to describe to to the non-film people but there's you kind of think of it as uh think about um commercials how when you watch a commercial everything's perfect there's nothing out of place and that's because you have a team of top-notch people working to no details too small we're, we're working pixel perfect scan line perfect everything matters because we know that if anything is in the distracts from the main story then the, your audience isn't thinking about what you want to think and in advertisements that's like oh i should buy this product we want to bring that level of um obviously with a documentary we, we, we can bring it down a few notches but we want to emphasize the 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 clarity of message so that there aren't any dangling aspects that distract people from the story that we want to tell and and the knowledge we want to impart and the wisdom that we want to share uh, with our audience and so these things add up they, they combine and there's production and there's post-production and of course you know the, the rule of thumb is if you're spending you know if you're spending half a million dollars on a production you should probably want to spend half a million dollars on on marketing i mean we will cross that bridge when we get there but uh it, it, these things to really compete on the international stage um let alone the domestic market for for film it is a it is an industry and we want to we 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 feel that we have we have a budget that gets us just across the threshold to compete at that professional level and have the production values we think are necessary to get the story across. I think it's also important to mention that uh, that it, you know this isn't just a project that we think is interesting to make. For, for us, this this is a critical story that has to get out there, um, and and we, you know we would we would like to impart that urgency to anybody that's listening. This this is about, Nick Hudson said, this is about the future of civilization. And, and we agree, you know, the issues here are, are not just um, political uh, blabber. The, this, is, this is about our right to, to live a life that we consider worth living. And um, so we, we're not only asking for financial support, but part of what we're doing is, is crowdsourcing um, knowledge and information and creating a community of like-minded people around these issues. Part of our, uh, in the perks of, of the fundraiser, 
at, at certain levels, you can actually become advisors to us on the film, give us your feedback about, about the film. Um, and, and we are asking also, we should mention for stories from people, uh, the impact that the, that these, these, uh, measures have had on their lives. So at, at our website, which is soundmindcreativegroup.com, uh, we have a portal where people can put in their information and, uh, share a story, stories of their lives or people that they know that have been adversely impacted by by these policies. Yeah, I'm just going to add real quick too on the, on the uh, you know, as far as the budget and, and which is why, you know, uh, we need what sounds like a large amount of money is, is you know, as, as was mentioned, it all adds up. But I mean, it's not to mention there's also insurance, there's accounting. Uh, legal is going to be significant anytime we're using news clips and that we need to have that everything needs to be combed through by a legal department that specializes in fair use. Um, you know, that's that's pretty significant expenses there as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of things beyond even just production that's more, you know, kind of back office kind of stuff, too, that really adds up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just so, so critical to make this. So we're really... Uh, you know, we, I, we think it's, it, you know, we thought about that because it's it, certainly you can make a documentary, a feature documentary for 50,000 if you want it, you know, but I, I, you know, a lot of times if that's the case, then even then there's usually zero dollars for marketing. And then it's like, well, how many people see it, you know? Um, and so given that it is so important, we think, you know, it should be on a level that that's going to get it on the most eyeballs on it as possible. So that's that's why we need to raise as much money. Are, so in addition to looking for currency and looking for stories of impact, are you looking for help, looking for sound people or for any kind of uh, talent with uh, with graphics or, I mean, can, it can, if, if people can't donate currency, can they donate time? Can they, can you, can you, I don't even know. Can you legally accept pro bono? I don't know. There's, yeah, well, there's a, to, to use an old world term that's still used fairly frequently in the film industry. Yes. We're looking to expand our Rolodex. We'd like to, we'd, we'd like to, We'd like to have a um, you know any 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 variety of uh, production uh, crew members, post production folks, um, even even uh, researchers and um, uh, you know cr credentialed scientists. If there are individuals who are interested in helping us, um, you know we, we we ask that you you know reach out to us as well. Um, we 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 want to develop a new community from which we can draw upon for when we have uh, either volunteer work or paid positions that uh, if as they arise we can we can reach out look at we can have the resumes look at people's CVs and see if there's a good fit and so we welcome we welcome people to make us aware of their presence and uh, we'd love we'd love that that'd be great and so I'm going to put it the link to the website on the show notes page which is culinarylibertarian.com/142. So, but anybody who's sitting at home, go ahead and give the email address for people who say, "Oh, I, I, I can do that," uh, and then I also put a link for that on the show notes page. So, how can people contact you? Sure, uh, I we have a, a central uh, email address, which is, is Sound Mind Creative, Sound Mind Creative Group at protonmail.com. So, Sound Mind Creative Group at protonmail.com.
Let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his Tasting Anarchy podcast. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. Uh, I want to move for a moment into a different part of the show, which is a little short answer question. It has got nothing to do with your film, but it's kind of a little bit of fun for me. Uh, so, for each of you, of the five flavors, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, or umami, which one do you prefer the most? Sweet. I'll jump in. I'm, an um- I'm, a- I'm about umami. I think uh, the cinematic suspension to leave... Cinematic sense, oh, excuse me. Cinematic suspension of disbelief and umami, I believe, are 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 housed in the same part of the brain. Mm. Matt, I uh, oh boy, I probably salty. What is your favorite food? <laughs> favorite food? Uh, uh, prime rib. With horseradish. In terms of a COVID and, and everyone sort of returned to the childhood comfort foods, uh, I have a I have an absolute weakness for Hostess donuts, chocolate with the oh. uh, yellow cake on the inside. <laughs> I uh, my my sister knows that she always will uh, she always gifts it to me when I don't want it. I always need it the most when she gives it to me, and I'm like, oh, I've given these up. I thought, but uh, can't resist them. I think I'll have to go with uh, ice cream. What is your least favorite food? Liver. Ooh. <laughs> That's a yeah, least favorite food. Um, That's really difficult. Uh, I, I would. Boy. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, liver is a good one. I think just the general. I've had. Uh, I've had stomach before, and. Uh, I've, I've, I've lived in foreign lands where the organs are more common. I, I'm not a big fan of the organs of the sheep and the cow. Hmm. I I, uh, I can't even think of one. I I like liver. I like kind of everything. I like variety of everything, and I'll try anything. I I I mean, as long as it's edible. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't usually like pickles on my burgers i don't know if that got, but i like pickles on their own uh, okay. thing i could think of <laughs> what gets you excited for me i i would say i i mean this sounds a bit self-serving but the idea of uh human freedom and human flourishing that uh that kind of keeps me going through the day that's the ron paul answer (laughs) i'm a big fan of uh in terms of being a lifelong filmmaker uh when you bring all those creatives together and i see all all crew members on set as as an artist and, and coming together and when when you feel the creative um transcend to that next level in which it is you know, greater than the sum of its parts, where you feel as if something bigger than anyone there it ha- is being created. And uh, I love that moment of transcendence of creation. 
Uh, I'm going to go in a completely different direction and say uh, playing uh, playing league softball. Yeah. What turns <laughs> you off? Game. I would just say uh, meetings, company-wide meetings. <laughs> 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 Never a fan. I'm going to go with artificiality. Um. Boy, I, I, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but, but, you know, I don't do it too often, but now and then scrolling Facebook or checking out Twitter, there's different posts at times that, that just turn my stomach. Um, and I'm sure you probably, you know, which ones I'm talking about, you know, them when you see them and it's like, ah, but yeah. What sound do you love? (laughs) <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, I, I like the I, I love a good metronome, an old world metronome. I love the simple mechanics of it. I, I mean, there's the, the there's the, of course the it 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 whenever you have a metered thing in your life, it's just like ah, I, you can rely on the click of the metronome, and I just love that sort of that that old world click. First thing that came to my mind was uh, w- wind in the trees on a very quiet night um i'd probably say um uh probably the sound of uh being out on a lake a calm lake early in the morning fishing and all the sounds related to that what sound do you hate i hate all of the standard alarm clock sounds of yesteryear like the the, the 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 clock radio the radio <laughs> clock alarm yeah that yeah that is yeah. never that is that's just i hate that sound that is a yeah that's not that's my least favorite you I ask tricky questions with, uh, yeah these are good yes. ones i i i yeah. think uh, uh i mean this is it's complicated to say this but i i'd say that, like the cacophony of of traffic and people at the talking at the top of their voices combined that that chaos of of kind of real inner city craziness sometimes that can be fun but i i don't enjoy it um boy i i'm trying to think i mean had the alarm clock one was a good one, Alan. I'm, um, uh, I, I, I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe constant, like distant machinery or construction. I think, um, I think that that's not a great one, but I, I don't like that. So. All right. Last one. What is your favorite food indulgence? Uh, for me, it's eggs Benedict. I know it's not good for me, but I always have it on vacation. It's like I can have the the hollandaise sauce uh, as much as I want. So I, it's uh, my 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 favorite breakfast of yesteryear. Mine is uh, popcorn loaded down with butter and a fair amount of salt, but eating a little bit of popcorn, then eating a couple of milk duds, <laughs> chewing it so it mixes together, and then taking a sip of, of a full sugared soda, like a Coke, 
like Coke, and then letting it, the cold, you know, and it has to be on ice so that the cold re-hardens the milk duds again, mixed with the popcorn and the butter and salt. Yeah, I, I love, it's very specific, but I, I love the specificity of that. That's fantastic. <laughs> I, I'm Don't, not sure. I don't think I can beat that, but uh, you have to beat that. Meat, meat lovers, pizza, and beer. Simple pleasures. All right. So you guys have made a circuit of podcasts, and I've stumped you with the hardest questions you've had all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Okay. Uh, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to make sure the listeners know? Well, I, I wanted to add, add previously about we, we, we touched upon this. You know, most films you go in where you're looking to, you know, create a profit, uh, get butts in seats, win awards. Um, and we hope for all those things for this film. But most importantly, we want to see this film made as an entry into the historical record. We know that there's a lot of lessons to be learned. The time is now to capture that. We want to get this film made regardless of its reception. We, you know, Again, we hope it goes as far as it possibly can, but we also just want to make sure it's made and, and speaks for us in terms of being a historically significant uh, piece of film work that will hopefully change the conversation. We hope to find the language within the film to give people the base of knowledge so that they can respond to, I mean, the narrative is very strong right now and there's a lot of sort of verbal traps and we want to look at those as part of this film and give people a, a jargon and a way of speaking that ideally shifts the conversation into a more open and free thinking style of conversation that we should have at this level for these type of societal engineering policies that we're, in, we're enduring right now. I, I'm going to just add one thing on a practical level as we're exploring exploring the this crowdfunding thing is that you know we would really love to hear from anyone that's thinking of donating or maybe they are are going to donate but they're not sure how much and then they're going to donate a certain amount. Um, if anyone is able to provide feedback as to you know is there information we're not providing that would ha have influenced them maybe giving more or or you know, feel it or donating at all. You know, if there's anything like that, um, we're, we're, everything's evolving and we're, we want to make sure people, it's a weird situation, especially given we're being anonymous and all this, uh, you right. know, we want to make sure people feel well, comfortable. You've about. got some pretty impressive perks at the various levels. So there's, but I, it's a good question. I understand you're saying what you're asking, but I think when the people go look at the website and say, wow, there's some really interesting opportunities here. Yeah. So yeah, but I mean, yeah, absolutely on that end. And, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, any, anything that, you know, anything that might come to mind, if there's things, questions anyone has, you know, maybe they want to donate, but they, and maybe they're thinking about donating a lot, but they're not sure. And they want to talk to us. I mean, certainly email us at that same proton mail, the sound mind creative group at protonmail.com at that email and let us know um, any questions or concerns. Uh, we're happy to talk to anyone about that. And, uh, I would just add one, one thing I guess we didn't really touch on. Um, given that we are anonymous, it's kind of important for, for people to know that we um, kind of know what we're doing um, in this in this realm. And we didn't we didn't really talk about um, who we are and what we've done. Uh, and our, our core group with the Sound Mind Creative Group uh, have been working in the entertainment industry, all of us for uh, decades. Um, and we have amongst us 
director, editor, screenwriter, composer, music supervisor, broadcast journalist. And we've worked on all kinds of media, feature films, TV series, documentaries, commercials, web series. Um, so just, just to put out put that out there uh, in case anybody has any hesitancy about giving money to a project where you can't see our faces. Um, we uh, we kind of know what we're doing now and then. <laughs> well, that's a valid point. And I, and I think part of the reason I didn't ask that is because you can go to the Time Woods episode and get that. Uh, you can go to the School Sucks podcast sure. and get that information. I wanted, so it's, it's not that it isn't unimportant. It's that it's been covered already. <laughs> I, wanted to, I, I, I want to get some more stuff. Sure, so, sure. But I'm glad you brought it up. That was that was useful and valuable. Thank you, John. All right, guys. Um, thank you very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate this. This is. I, I hope people help. I'm going to contribute myself, although I'm you know my resources are less than others. But I will give you some money because I think this is important and it needs to get done. And thank I look you, forward to uh, for what you create. So thank you for your time and. Uh, have a great after. Well, have a great rest of the day wherever you are in the world. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Dan. We thank really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. All right, folks, that's going to do it. As I mentioned, the Sound Mind Creative Group webpage and email link will be on the show notes page, as well as the shortened link, slash movie, for the trailer and the way to donate. Please share this episode on your social media pages. This is an important project, and they need our help to get this completed, and also to let the people know that someone is making a record of what happened. Please rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcatcher. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com. Uh, Matt, I think I'm going to tell him to predict your future. When you try chitlins, you're going to find one thing you don't like. Ah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm playing prognosticator here, but let's <laughs> yeah. just chase so it with, hitting. just chase it with donuts and everything's great. You know, oh. or, or that cold soda, <laughs> something, anything at all. Hostess. I'm a sucker for hostess. Always have been. Twinkies are good.